Welcome to the MHI Cast, the show where we talk to the industry's best minds to uncover their supply chain stories. We explore real world case studies and get unique perspectives on key trends and emerging technologies from every corner of the material handling, logistics, and supply chain space. Hello and welcome to MHI Cast. Technology is always improving, making human workers faster, stronger, and better able to adapt to their environments. In a more recent episode of MHI Cast, we spoke about augmented reality technology designed to help the wearer work smarter, not harder. Today, we bring you a podcast on a different type of wearable technology exoskeletons. How fun is that to say? Joining me today is Dr. Donald Peterson. Dean of the College of Engineering and Engineering Technology at Northern Illinois University. Dr. Peterson, thank you so much for being with us. Welcome to the podcast. Let's jump right in with our first question. What exactly is an exoskeleton and how does it differ from other wearable technologies? Exoskeleton technologies are indeed wearable technologies, but they're different uh, because they provide typically provide uh, assistance to the human uh, when trying to accomplish a task. Uh, For example, in industry, it might be uh, materials handling. It might be something that deals with manufacturing. Uh, uh, It could be handling tools, handling materials in that type of environment. could be construction for the same purpose, agriculture. Uh, It could also be in medical where uh, it's assistive to help somebody walk. Uh, to stand, to rehabilitate, uh, could be uh, in military where assisting in um, uh, essentially uh, weapons uh, management, um, arsenal management, uh, munitions management and so forth, as well as uh, first responders uh, for being able to manipulate uh, uh, materials, heavy equipment, um, can be used to uh, manipulate materials around an individual who might be trapped uh, due to uh, collapsed uh, buildings uh, in a car uh, and so forth. Then we even see exoskeletons that are used for recreational purposes, uh, like in sports, um, namely in skiing, for example, a lower extremity exoskeleton that uh, reduces fatigue while skiing. Um, This type of wearable technology, again, provides the assistance. Uh, Other wearables sometimes are just there to measure uh, it could be uh, exposures to different things like sounds, uh, vibrations, other types of, of things that uh, somebody might be interested in understanding, heart rate, uh, temperatures, uh, and so forth. Exoskeletons uh, are out there that can do those things. They're smart exoskeletons, uh, but they're not prominent uh, as of yet, but we will see those uh, in, in the future. So exoskeletons is definitely part of the wearable technology family, but uh certainly does uh, its fair share of of providing assistance to the human being when actually trying to accomplish tasks. I have to admit, certainly when I think of an exoskeleton, I immediately go to a a comic book or uh, or a movie portrayal as my frame of reference. And I imagine it's the same with some of our audience members as well. So why don't you clear the air? How do exoskeletons actually work? Or maybe to put it another way, what are some of the biggest misconceptions people have about exoskeletons? Some of the biggest misconceptions come from the comic books or the movies like the Iron Man, uh, the exoskeleton suits that you see in uh, aliens or in other types of military uh, uh, based type movies, things. Um, The the technology that's used uh, essentially, again, how do they function? The technology is used is pretty complex in some manners, uh, especially with those exoskeletons that would be active. For example, the exoskeletons that assist uh, a, a paralyzed individual to be able to stand up from their wheelchair and, and walk. Uh, 
uh, is not only a, a sophisticated mechanical device, but it also uh, has a fair amount of electronics, making it as an electromechanical device. So a lot of controls and so forth and linking uh, to understand, uh, you know, how to control that system, how the body is, is trying to interpret uh, its orientation and posture, for example. I mean, there's a lot of different aspects that go into uh, those types of exoskeletons. There's powered exoskeletons being developed for use in uh, military and in uh, industrial settings that are, are quite complex. What we're seeing in industry right now is a lot of passive exoskeletons. Uh, and industry, I mean like manufacturing, construction, agriculture, and so forth. These are essentially mechanically actuated exoskeletons that are not uh, powered in any way by batteries or electronics. Uh, they're usually uh, spring actuated. Uh, they could have dampers and so forth that provide the assistance uh, primarily in postural assist, whether it be with the back or the upper extremities when doing something. So the misconception right now in exoskeleton technology is that we have a lot of, even though these movies show a lot of these advanced uh, technologies that we actually have the ability to be able to put that together. Um, it's on its way. It will be here eventually. It's just a matter of it's very complex and difficult to uh, work with these uh, technologies. The standards are another thing that's very important. Um, to make sure that these are things are de designed for safe use and integration into workplace, medical environments, military environments, things like that. So the ideas and concepts we see in comic books and movies are quite exciting with exoskeletons. And someday I think we'll hit that. Uh, it's just that there's a long road before us and uh, there's a lot of great people out there doing some great advancements with these technologies. So the misconception is, well, hey, if they can uh, think about this technology and its use, in a movie or a theatrical type of environment, then it must be somewhat real uh, to be able to think about uh, we might have a system like this uh, or so forth, but um, we're not quite there yet. Uh, and so again, I, I, like I said, we will get there. It's just gonna take a long road of, of working with the developing these technologies and developing the standards and practices for them as we go forward. So we got a few more years before we see any exoskeleton powered superheroes, got it. In my research, though, for this conversation, I came across some uh, instances of articles mentioning hard and soft exoskeletons. Wasn't aware that there was more than one type. And, and so now I'm wondering, uh, what are the differences? Are there any? And if so, what are they? There are differences, and, and they tend to have their applications of uh, differences as well. For example, uh, soft exoskeletons have a home uh, to be able to be used possibly under garments, under clothing, whether it be military clothing. Uh, to provide um, a, a more user-friendly and more comfortable situation, especially in warfighting or, um, uh, you know, uh, whether it's strategic operations where they're manipulating equipment, for example, in that type of scenario, even in industry as well, uh, provide more comfort. Um, but the uh, abilities of those to provide the strength needed to support over long-term, say, body uh, postures um, may not necessarily compete with those that have a harder exoskeleton that could be used to have a more rigid structures to be able to provide uh, even stronger support than the soft exoskeletons. But so they're really uh, designed based on um, uh, how they're going to be used and the tasks that they're going to uh, essentially target. You might find soft exoskeletons in the military, for example, that would assist uh, soldiers to walk, uh, carry. Uh, you know, a lot of lo loads, but really assist their walk. So whether it provides a little bit more spring in their step um, and uh, where hard exoskeletons would uh, be more suited for being able to support a heavier load, maybe by the upper extremities or support a load for a longer period of time. So like, 
for example, uh, using a tool over your, your shoulder line or above your head. Uh, as you know, you, use, you do that and your arms get very tired. An exoskeleton uh, could be suited for, uh, a hard exoskeleton can be suited for supporting that above your head uh, much better than a, than a soft exoskeleton. I'm not saying one's better than the other. Um, I'm not saying that there aren't uh, ones that can accomplish uh, cross goals like that, whether it's soft or hard. Uh, just saying that th this is right now where we are with the technologies. And I'm, I'm sure in the future as we go forward, you're going to see a lot of combination of hard and soft goods on these exoskeletons. What applications do you think exoskeletons would be most useful in? And I know you just mentioned it being used as a support for holding tools above the head. So obviously manufacturing uh, will be one use case, but you know, curious about any other you know, supply chain specific use cases. So exoskeleton applications in supply chain uh, management materials handling um, is huge. Uh, and the implications that uh, it would have would be huge. Uh, and there's a lot of pick and placing. There's a lot of individuals in these types of warehouse environments. For example, if we look at that in terms of getting a product from the shelf uh, out into the customers, uh, individuals wearing uh, and, and the rapid uh, response that individuals have to have in order to meet demands, uh, to meet the, the supply chain demands, um, they would have to, uh, uh, well, let's say we often see them uh, overexert themselves. And we see a lot of uh, back and shoulder industry and pick and place for in these warehouse house type environments. So an appropriate exoskeleton for these types of, of operations would certainly uh, reduce the stressors that individuals would experience as they are doing the pick and place operation. So could make the supply chain uh, management uh, and efficiency uh, you know, much more optimal in terms of providing that quick response um, uh, for a company that is a supply chain uh, sensitive uh, company. Um, so they're obviously uh, in manufacturing and construction, and I think their uh, their applications there are pretty straightforward. Uh, and materials handling is a you know it seems a little bit maybe more simple in terms of the task itself, but in in many respects from a biomechanics standpoint could be much more complex because the workers not just in a pick and place. Um, you know if we think of materials handling across the board outside of supply chain. Again, it could be delivery of materials in a, a manufacturing environment and materials management there, um, kind of like micro shop, uh, supply chains, right? Um, these individuals could get into some real um, interesting biomechanical situations. Again, you know, um, uh, awkward postures and, you know, overexertions and, and really uh, excessively done. So, you know, throughout the day, maybe uh, high repetition rates um, and, and so forth that lead to injury. So. Um, I think the applications of exoskeletons, these passive ones, have their abilities in home uh, within the materials handling uh, environments. And I think as the powered exoskeletons become lighter uh, and more conducive, uh, in many respects less complex uh, than they currently are, I think you'll find that those are going to explode uh, into their use in the various uh, supply chain uh, and materials handling operations. So then you have uh, exoskeletons that are, uh, you know, more active. Maybe they're passive slash active. So meaning that you can uh, you can control them. You can call on the power aspect of the exoskeleton when needed, and maybe when you don't need it, um, whether through clutching or a switch to turn it off, you can have it and more of a passive type of support mechanism. So I think we're going to see a lot of that in the future, and I think that's going to really take. A strong foothold in the materials handling environments.
Well, no doubt it sounds like we're going to see some amazing use cases to look forward to. But I have to ask a question that may be on a lot of operators' minds, and this has everything to do with investment size. What kind of investment would this take? Equipment like AMRs, they need charging ports, overhead lifting tools, they need space, and even carts and hand trucks, they need storage and maintenance too. So what are we looking at for exoskeletons? The investment for uh, an exoskeleton, um, all different types of resources may be needed from power to space and so forth, but it really does depend on the nature of the technology, the exoskeleton. Uh, if it's powered, uh, you're going to need to maintain uh, that power. Yeah, charging them overnight if it's battery powered or removing batteries and charging those. Well, you need charging ports, sure. Um, are, there are tethered exoskeletons out there. We see them primarily for the rehabilitation or, or the uh, assistive uh, in the medical uh, environments, the assistive technologies, uh, but uh, that would require power, but not so much in the industrial. I think the, where the uh, active exoskeletons or powered exoskeletons are heading towards uh, is looking at um, you know standalone, non-tethered, meaning that they don't have wires attached to them. They have uh, essentially battery units or battery packs that they're gonna be uh, implemented in them. Uh, again, most of them that we would see, for example, in a uh, supply chain, uh, or materials handling uh, situation would most likely be, at this point in time, most likely be passive uh, in nature. So no power uh, would necessarily be needed. Space to maintain them. Um, so, you know, we think about uh, who would wear these. Would it be one per employee? Would each have their own exoskeleton? Would exoskeletons be shared uh, in a COVID situation? How do you keep those clean uh, and disinfect them between users, for example, between shifts? Um, so there may be those types of requirements in order to support um, uh, support these technologies, depending. The other might be uh, uh, is the engineering support, for example, of these exoskeleton technologies. So you have your uh, health and safety managers within work environments uh, should be the ones that would be working very closely with the leadership teams to be able, uh, and, and the workers and the engineers, to be able to understand if these technologies are right for those environments. Um, they're not a like a pill. You take the pill and it solves everything. Uh, it's going to be, uh, you know, essentially driven based on uh, the tasks and if those tasks are exo friendly in, in those environments. So uh, once they're there and you have the uh, workforce, which is essentially kind of a power to maintain those units, right? You have to have the human resource uh, to be able to be knowledgeable, uh, make data informed decisions about implementation, but then also maintain them as well. Um, store them, um, uh, provide uh, ability to replace uh, parts on them, uh, and, and, and so forth. So I guess what I'm getting at with that is, is the human resources and other uh, aspect that, uh, or, uh, you know, that would be needed to, in order to maintain these things. Uh, implement them, uh, you know, look at which is going to be right, implement them, uh, maintain them, and then continuously improve the situation in which they're implemented. Okay, you just mentioned something that, that uh, has me intrigued. And I'm thinking specifically of my own equipment, for example, uh, my headphones. You know, somebody borrows my headphones, I take them off, they put them on, and now the part over my ears will be down to my chin, you know, because they have a different head size or whatnot. So my question is, outside of an existing COVID-type situation where, you know, obviously we need to be mindful of disinfecting the unit, how does sharing an EXO amongst workers happen easily? Yeah, uh, there's variability between people, right? So uh, some exoskeletons are easier to adjust than others uh, in terms of, of the way they've been designed. Um, and some require uh, another person to help put it on. Um, that's prohibitive in a workplace where an individual shows up to work and they have to 
if they have to wear an exoskeleton uh, or need to, for example, uh, to, in order to accomplish a task, they might need another individual to uh, be able to assist them to put it on. Uh, and what I mean, it's not necessarily donning it, but uh, adjust, making the adjustments as it's on the individual too. Like, um, uh, you know, for example, you gave your headphone uh, example, uh, putting it on and then you make the adjustment as opposed to trying to adjust it and then putting it on your head. It would be the same with most exoskeletons is that you would put it on and then make the adjustments based on your body size, your arm length, your leg length, torso length, things like that. Strength, uh, some of the actuators on them can be adjusted for different strengths. Could be, those strengths could be based on um, male, female, could be based, uh, you know, again, on, on arm length, uh, for example, could be based on the task you're going to do and the, the weights that you need to support, whether it be a fairly heavy tool to a fairly light tool. Uh, or so forth if you're working uh, overhead. So yeah, there's that need for adjustments um, that needs to happen. Now, it, it, and it comes back to, would companies be at a point with these technologies to buy an exoskeleton per employee uh, so that, that, that at the end of the day, they hang up their exoskeleton in their locker uh, or near their workbench uh, or tool uh, box or something or crib or something or wherever they are, um, uh, managing their tools to do their job done, um, that would have to be uh, something that uh, we see going forward. Some of the situations now uh, I've seen in industry is where they're sharing exoskeletons. So that's where the, the question comes in about, uh, for example, COVID, uh, how do you disinfect between users? Um, what's the protocol there? Again, these technologies are uh, right now the passive exoskeletons used in industry like materials handling uh, the lower extremity or, or back or upper extremity, uh, we, we uh, see that they're hard and soft goods. What do I mean by that? They do have a lot of rigid structures to be able to support the body appropriately in the way they're designed, but the way they're connected to the body are via soft goods, you know, Velcro wraps and strapping and, and neoprene and whatever materials that the company may use, you know, kind of look like backpack type of materials, meshing and and you know things that provide comfort, uh, cushioning, and so forth. So all that needs adjusting, um, and uh, each user would most likely have to readjust uh, all the settings, uh, again for the uh, the support mechanisms, but all the settings for uh, the fit on the body itself. So that that becomes an issue to be aware of in these environments. Yeah, these are all good things to be aware of. So thank you for sharing, um, especially if some of our listeners are going to be looking at exoskeletons for their own crews in the uh, in the future. Now, I know you had spoken to the Ease Council, MHI's Ease Council at their spring meeting this year about this very topic, about advancements in exoskeletons. Are you at liberty to share uh, what was discussed during that meeting and perhaps, you know, if there have been any new advancements in the technology recently? So probably the biggest advancement, uh, which is moving quite rapidly, is not, you know, not just the technology. Companies uh, are developing uh, exoskeletons. Uh, we see a lot of newcomers coming into the game. Uh, we have a lot of researchers uh, in academia uh, that are developing exoskeletons and then moving to, to form startup companies to be able to further develop them or partner with existing exoskeleton companies. Uh, we see a lot of advancements being made along those lines as well as uh, research uh, um, companies partnering with uh, researchers, whether it be in academia or not, uh, to look at the implementation of exoskeletons uh, and the impact that exoskeletons may be having. So there's a lot of advancements being there and uh, knowledge is being gained. 
Um, but, you know, I'm quite proud. I serve as the chair of the ASTM International Committee F48, which is the exoskeletons and exosuit committee. And uh, they've been doing a lot of, of, of progress around or making a lot of progress around uh, developing the standards uh, and some baseline standards for exoskeleton technologies uh, from design uh, to manufacturing, to maintenance, to safety, to security, cybersecurity, to uh, ergonomics and anthropometry, to uh, understanding aspects of, of risk management, for example, within all of that. So um, these are very exciting things that are going on uh, in ASTM. And ASTM has already produced a, a handful, you know, more than 10 uh, standards now for things like, for example, um, you know, wearing care and maintenance, uh, load handling uh, when using exoskeleton, training exoskeleton users, uh, movement tests when using exoskeleton, quantitative measures for establishing functional ergonomic parameters for uh, particular users for those, um, and reporting structures uh, for uh, exoskeleton analysis or analyses. And there's a lot, uh, you know, I, I would say on the order of, of 25 or more new uh, work items that the standards groups are working on uh, under committee F48. Uh, um, things from, uh, you know, digital modeling, um, measuring ease of use and usefulness and the intent, um, uh, hazards for consideration when designing, uh, management of internal um, and external sources of, of risk when using the exoskeleton, uh, uh, mobility issues, um, modeling, um, again, the tent uh, and uh, whether it be used for in a particular environment for the first time or if it's going to be used for a return to work, um, how exoskeletons are used around stairs, uh, hurdles, gaps, beams, um, uh, obstacle uh, avoidance like walking and so forth. So these are all things that are rapidly being developed by the ASTM F48 committee and, it, and the subcommittees that exist there. Uh, so I give a lot of kudos for them. Uh, I work as the chair, uh, and I'm very honored to be the chair of, of an incredible uh, committee, probably ASTM's best committee. My colleagues are very, very, uh, uh, very thoughtful and considerate, uh, very capable in these uh, environments, um, and really been putting forth some really good baseline standards. Now, standards in these uh, are not one and done. You know, the, the many standards that will come out um, are not going to be, uh, you know, developed and put aside and said that's the standard forever. These standards go under constant review, so we'll be looking at uh, constantly revising these, especially as the technology develops and get better, gets better. We will be um, revising the standards to meet the needs of the developers and the users um, as time goes on. So um, I think that's where some of the biggest advancements I've seen have been coming out of, of uh, uh, Committee F48. Hands down, there's a lot of work that goes into creating standards and guidelines for new technologies. We've seen this time and time again with MHI's industry group. So thank you for that. Uh, we're drawing to a close here, Don. So I want to make sure that I give you the floor and, and ask you any final thoughts or comments you'd like to share that we haven't already covered. I think, you know, people are going to be more aware of exoskeletons. They're going to start seeing them more. They're going to be more accepted and readily adopted, whether it be, again, in uh, you know, the medical environments, military, industrial, uh, I think you might even see them in your home. If you, uh, if you're involved in painting your ceiling, that's a, a laborious task if you don't have the right equipment and you're working overhead. So you might see exoskeletons available, uh, in the, in the future. Uh, and it could be the near future, uh, to be able to assist you with these. Again, I come back to the fact that, uh, we have to make sure that they're just not thrown out there for people to, uh, just grab and use. They need to understand what they're dealing with because, 
it could alter uh, the, their biomechanics in a way um, and their function in a way that could be adverse in the long run. Uh, so we have to be very careful uh, how these technologies are implemented. Well, Don, thank you so much for joining us and sharing your knowledge and inspiring our community. Exoskeletons, certainly an exciting new technology. And I'm certain I can speak for a lot of our members and listeners when I say we're excited to see what's coming next. Well, thank you for listening to this MHI Cast episode with Dr. Donald Peterson. And hey, if you'd like to get involved in making the supply chain workplace more ergonomic for workers, you can join the Ease Council. More information can be found at mhi.org/ease. That's mhi.org/ease. And if you're interested in the latest technologies and advancements in supply chain and material handling, make plans to attend Modex next March in Atlanta. Visit modexshow.com to learn more. Here at MHI, we never stop exploring new technologies to help you take your manufacturing and supply chain operations to that next level of success. So thank you for making us a part of your professional development journey. 